Today on Parent Time, we talk to one of children's music's greatest assets as we chat to the one and only Peter Coombe on Benny Asking People Questions. It's hard to look at today's landscape of children's performers and children's music without funneling your way to its roots and finding yourself at the feet of my next guest. For over 30 years now, he has been the driving force and champion of the well-crafted kids song with unique vision of what our kids can understand, but more importantly, what our kids deserve. Arguably the most influential children's artist in this country's history, I speak of course about Peter Coombe and he joins me here today. Hi Peter, welcome. Hi, Benny. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, first and foremost, congratulations on your ARIA nomination for your latest release, thank you. Live It Up. Yeah, it's very cool. Thank you. Um, so with three ARIA wins um, in 88, Toffee Apple, which was obviously the first, the inaugural Children's Award, um, 89 mm. for Newspaper Mama, then 92 for the Best of Peter Coombe so far. Now, 25 years later, um, is it nice to be up there again? It's a pretty cool thing to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's always nice to be, I guess, to rec- recognise what you do because uh, this is my life's work. So uh, it's something I, you know, I take very seriously, and because uh, I take I take um, the educating of musically of children very seriously. So yeah, it's 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 nice. So it's always good to have been nominated for an award. Yeah, excellent. Just looking at your past. Like in the late 70s, you were on Music Time in the UK, which was a show, my understanding is, to sort of introduce music concepts to children. Um, You were also, Mm. in early years, you you were teaching music, you were a specialist music teacher, you had the radio program, Let's Have Music. Um, You also had Tickle Pot, which in 91 was Mm -hmm. voted the best children's program in the world, which is a pretty neat title, I have to say. And then the ABC ABC dropped it, which is interesting. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> it, yeah, because very, very, very strange, very strange outcome when you get the best best program in the world and then the job program. Yeah, because it only won in '91. Maybe for one in '92 as well, they would have kept it going. Um, I doubt it. But then, <laughs> but then, all this time, your kind of big dream was to be a folk singer. So, how did you? Mm, how did yeah. you have so much concentration in children's content when it seems you had a bit of a passion for something else? Well, it's I suppose it's a reasonably long story. I I, I started playing guitar when I was about 17 and I got caught up in the folk protest movement. Um, so I idolised people like uh, Peter Paul and Mary, um, Sam McGarfunkel, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins, Leonard Cohen, all, all those people who were, became prominent in the um, 60s and early 70s. And um, so that, that was my background, but I was also a teacher. So I taught primary kids um, in starting in 1969 and then I became a specialist music teacher. So I had these two sort of careers going. One, one was a paid career, a teaching career. The other one was an unpaid career, <laughs> wanting, wanting to be the world's, the world's next Paul Simon. Because <laughs> so, um, he needed one. Uh, it was true. I, I, I sort of went, went to England sort of uh, searching for, you know, to be, become a sort of a well-known, except the um, adult singer-songwriter. And I suppose in that process of living in England, I gradually started writing more children's songs because... Almost no one was doing it. It was one of those untouched areas. Uh, and um, so when I got back to Australia in uh, late 1979, I recorded my first children's album. It's just a little little home, almost homegrown thing mm. called Songs for Little Kids. Mm. Uh, it was recorded in Sydney and in the proper studio and everything, but it was sort of, and it kind of, the, the words, it was just a word of mouth thing. You know, someone would buy, buy the cassette, they'd tell someone else about it, and then they'd tell someone else about it, and 
it spread like that. But really, in many ways, that's the best way of a, of a thing um, spreading anyway because um, people want to tell someone else about something if they like it. And and uh, so that's how that's how the whole thing got going. That that, that was 1981 when Songs Little Kids came out, and then of course there's a whole string of albums after that. You can probably know the Spaghetti Bolognese, Toffee mm. Apple, Newspaper Mama, Chopsticks, etc., etc., etc. So you've spoken um, in, in I've heard you spoken in the past about um, attitudes toward children's music at that time, mm. and, and children's music like considered to it was considered easy and a pretty simple thing to do. Yeah. When, when you came out with what is an incredibly unique sound and style and incredibly respectful to children, was it hard for you at the start there to, to break down those preconceptions? I mean, as you said, it was kind of word to mouth, but did it get hard for you? Like to Because I know Toffee Apple was kind of the breakthrough album. Yeah. Was, yeah. It, was, it, did, yeah. was it hard? Yes, it was. The answer is yes, it was difficult. <laughs> uh, and it's still, it's still a bit of a problem with um, the mainstream media. Mainstream media doesn't really understand children's music. They they think it's all a bit sort of, um, you know, dash it off and push it out there in the, in, in the public and sell it and don't, don't put much effort into it. But my attitude has always been that um, if you have respect for children, um, uh, you, you put as much effort into writing a children's song and recording a children's song or performing a children's song as you do for adults. I mean, why, on earth, why on earth wouldn't you? Yeah. To, to do anything else is just to disrespect children. We've been through some good times and hard days too. We've been all together, friends the whole way through. For me, it's always been a rule a real labour of love to, um, to put absolutely everything into writing the song and then recording the song, mixing the song, mastering mastering the album, and of course going out on the road and performing it. Uh, because it's just, uh, uh, and I think if you do that, then the chances of it being passed down to the next generation are good. And uh, sure. that's what's happened to me now. Um, I've got a second tier audience of um, of young children now who um, whose parents are probably mid thirties. So they've got a you know four year old or six year old and and the lovely thing is the songs don't really age. And that's, um, yeah. I think that's almost in a way a test of it, whether the song's really any good or not. If it does, it does look like a good recipe, it does get passed down to, a, to another generation. I'm very thankful that um, I can now do <laughs> things like the Adelaide Fringe, uh, where I do a season of seven, seven concerts, and um, the audience is pretty much uh, people, parents who grew up on <laughs> yeah, the songs, exactly. and of course, with their children. So that's so quite lovely. Days with newspaper mama and spaghetti bolognese. I mean, you were you were it. There was no playbook before you, um, and you were kind no, of and no. you were kind of just making it up as you went along. I mean, obviously you had um, Diana Manson as your champion, and you did the. the I mean, what yep. I understand to be the first clip for a children's yep, song for right. Toffee yep. Apple. I mean, what, yep. was it pretty exciting, or was it still just this constant, uh, you know, battle against people telling you it wasn't worth it? Oh, it was very exciting. Uh, I guess two things. It was very exciting, yes, to actually suddenly suddenly have a, a video, Toffee Apple, um, because all, all that was happening was for the very first time, parents and teachers could actually hear a children's song you know, on in the media, on television, not radio, but hear the entire song. Because up to that point, um, anyone who put out a children's album, well, you could never hear it on radio because there is no children's radio station, or certainly wasn't then, who played children's songs and, and played them in their entirety. 
suppose if you're a pop act or a rock act, you, you put out an album, a track will be picked out and it'll be played many, 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 many times. So people got to hear Toffee Apple over and over again <laughs> and they got <laughs> to like it. And of course, the, the, the album took off. Um, there was a second part that asked that question. I can't think what it is now. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. It was a pretty long question. Um, yeah, just the whole idea that, I mean, how much trial and error was it? I mean, just because you were like, it was a bit of yeah, a no man's it, land for you. It's like, it, it, it was it was trial and error um, because cause it, no one had done it before. I guess I was sort of a pioneer in that in that sense. Um, and and, and the, I, the, I, what I was going to say was even then, even the record companies, ABC, Polygram, uh, record distributors, I didn't, don't think they really understood why it was working. You can sort of sense that they thought this, this this stuff that I'm doing for children is selling like crazy, but why? They don't, they don't really know. And I, th- I think in the end, um, things things will sell the children's food. I think if they're actually worthwhile, um, uh, and I think that um, well, certainly they'll last. And uh, so, but I don't, I don't really think um, record companies ever really understood that. And certainly these mm. days, the mainstream media still doesn't. No, they don't really understand the whole concept of the of writing children's music, recording it, and doing it really well. And uh, it's kind of um, it's kind of not considered cool, which is um, it's sad in a way, because uh, when you're in front of an audience of, you know, whether it's 50 kids or 300 kids, it's, it's always a wonderful experience because they, they are so fresh and they love it and they look up, look up at you and sing and all those lovely things you get with an audience. Yeah, I also think for the mainstream as well, people just aren't even conscious of it as an art form at all until they have children and then they have a period of That's six, right. seven yeah. years yeah. where they are intensely involved and then they moved on. Yeah. And I think because of that, yeah. we don't ever stop and go, you know what, this is actually, you know, like uh, we've got the wrong names on T-shirts, you know. We, we, it, just because you don't <laughs> have kids, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be recognising yeah. the effort that goes in. With the music production side of things, your first album, Songs for Little Kids, you said was a bit of a, you know, you did it all produced and, and re- recorded and the whole bit. Has that changed for you as you make more content? Like are you, as you've grown, are you able to relinquish more of the, the work to the producer or are you still no, vehemently no, defend no. your sound? No, I am, I am the producer. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, <laughs> I, 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 freely, I freely admit that. Um, I'm in charge and uh, so I take the credit or I take the blame, basically, yeah, whatever true. happens. Uh, it's just that that's the way I do things. I mean, I, I think, in all honesty, I know better how to do it than anyone else would, because it's what I do. It's, it's my it's my life's work, uh, and I have I have very high standards in the studio. I get the best musicians. I mean, Adelaide, for example, I don't I don't start recording an album until the four band guys I work with are available, and yeah. if they're not available, I simply wait yeah. until they are. Uh, that's that important to me, um, and I, I, it's something which uh, is just something which I just do with you know with with, with great respect for, for for the audience. It's uh, it's uh, really really important to me. Yeah, well, that was my next question about the musicians because because I got I kind of get this sense like I mean when you go into the studio and you're saying you obviously you obviously have regular people that you use. Do you go mm. in with a crystal clear idea of how that song is, or do you go in and go, hey everyone, I've got this? Let's play with a it bit, for a day. A, bit, a, little bit of, a little bit of both. I think um, you're a bit crazy if you go into a studio with a whole a group, a bunch of new songs and don't have a slightly open mind, even though I've got a, a very clear vision for the songs, I write them and I imagine how they're going to sound. When you're working with uh, four other very creative people, a drummer, bass player, guitarist, keyboard player, 
and they're all very good at what they do. And if they make suggestions along the way about the arrangement for a song, and I, I just ignore it, well, I think that's a bit stupid, really. Yeah, sure. So I always have an open mind in that sense. I listen to them, but in the end, I make the decision whether I go with an idea or not. I'll give you one very quick, quick, quick yeah. um, example of that. When I recorded the song called Baghdad, which comes off the Toffee Apple album, yeah. the, the guitarist on the album was a guy called Michael Fix, and I still have, I still occasionally, <laughs> occasionally communicate with Michael. And there was just in between the uh, chorus and the verse, he just simply suggested putting an, ex, an extra B seventh chord, just a simple one little thing like that, and it just simply made the song better. Yeah, now, right. I could have easily ignored ignored Michael and not put that B7 recording, but I did, and it just simply made the song like that. So you get that, that sort of stuff can happen. And, just, and they usually do twi- like tweaking the song. And uh, so I always try and keep an open mind in that sense. Oh, where's your back, Dad? Your back? You left your back, Dad. Your back, Dad. Oh, where's your back, Dad? Your back? You left your back, Dad. Your back, Dad. I took a little trip on a jumbo. Yeah, well, that must be quite a disciplined thing as well because when you are in a studio, often you're looking at the clock because you're watching money just sort of every time mm. the oh, hand yeah. moves, you're just opening your wallet and throwing another 20 on the floor. That's so, right. I mean, you must have to be very disciplined to be able to have that going on in those things. Um, you do, and the, 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 the sort of the main thing with recording is to be very organised, mm. to have a very clear picture of what you want to do, how much you would like to get through on that day. But on the other hand, said keeping a bit of an open mind for creative things to happen in the studio because they do. And the people I work with, I'll often say, "Look, I'm not quite sure what I should do with those four bars there." And you work when you're working with really good people. Um, often they'll suggest something which just simply works. Yeah. So, although I'm the producer and I, I make all the final decisions, that's that's the way it'll always be with the way I work. Um, I I keep an open mind in that sense. You've mentioned repeatedly, uh, well, in, in several interviews about that, you know, good music is your number one focus. Um, just, mm. just talking about live, um, talk about live it up. Your opening track, um, you have this wind ensemble that kind of leads yeah, us into uh, this. Yeah, this leads us into yeah, this yeah. electro pop thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much of decisions like that are based around you? three ways wanting to share musical styles with children or feeling that the song needed it or is there a part of you that goes i just sort of want to indulge myself this is feels good well that that particular bit you're talking about the wind the wind ensemble the beginning of live it up that was actually something which was pretty much done by my son oh Um, wow i sent my son the chord chart suggestions of the style i wanted but I gave him a bit of leeway, and he he sort of came up with that with that kind of wind ensemble thing. And it's a lovely thing. It's, oh, it's beautiful. It sounds quite orchestral. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I, I guess I'd I'd love at one stage to be able to do do the song with a whole orchestra because I, I can just, I can hear an orchestra playing all that. So that song was a kind of like as you're saying like an electro pop thing. It was a different thing. The, 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 the song idea originally came from my eldest daughter. She said, oh, Dad, I'd love to have a song which I can use with my performing arts group. And she has a group in Adelaide called Feeder Bugs, and they're a very well-known performing arts group. I'd love to have a song that finishes off a show. So that particular song, Live It Up, has got a real end-of-show finale feeling about it. So both my children, that sort of sense, were kind of quite involved in yeah. producing that song, with, with Joni having the idea of having a finale-type song and, and Tom coming up with a little, the wind ensemble thing. 
so that that I guess that's an example of kind of keeping an open mind with what people come up with. Are your children aware of what a luxury they have, being able to just ring their dad and go, hey, can you just um, punch out a song for us? That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that the luck works both ways. Um, I mm. think I'm lucky and they're lucky in the sense that I guess that I do what I do and I ask them to do things on albums. And I only ever ask my children uh, to do things because they can. And that's the, that's the other side of the coin. I'm lucky in the sense yeah, I have four children who are all good at doing various things. I have two daughters who are terrific harmony singers. I have a, another daughter and one who suggested Live It Up who's a, a, a real theatrical singer and a very theatrical person who suggests theatrical things when I record or when I'm doing shows. And my son's also a very fine guitar player yeah. and he's also very creative. So mm. I'm, I'm lucky too and I've got four very creative kids. Yeah, it's great. It's very, it's, it must be beautiful to be able to share that sort of mm. stuff with the kids because, you know, you might have had your own business as a, um, I don't know, as an accountant and they might not have been as excited <laughs> as excited to be part of your, I, your, I was, your lineage. Terrible accountant, Danny. I, I, I wouldn't go to me if I, if I was someone. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Um, so, just quickly talking about your teaching aspect when you were in your early days. Now, mm. with all this teaching stuff, it doesn't necessarily permeate into your music that you make for children. It feels like you you teach children about music purely by giving them lots of different genres, genres as opposed to being too. And this is fast, and this is slow, and this is. Is that is that a fair enough point, or you never really thought um, about it? Yes, yes, no. Uh, I'm very conscious of my background as a teacher mm. when I when I make an album. Um, I mean, for example, I try and pitch songs in keys that children can sing in. Sure. I try and say, well, the top the top note, an average child can sing sort of more or less an E, possibly an F, and then they go can they can go down to a B or an A. So they've got got a range of something like a, a, an octave and a half, or even mm. slightly more. And you can stretch good kids way beyond that. But if but an average child who can, who can sing in tune will comfortably sing within those notes. So a lot of my songs are done in in keys that where the notes are, are somewhere in between the, the, those yeah. parameters. So in that sense, my I guess my background as a teacher comes into play. But um, but yeah, I'm so, I'm re- really big on on diversity on albums. I, when I make an album. Um, and I can use two adult albums I've admired over the years that fit to have this kind of thinking. If I think of the Beatles album, Abbey Road, every single track is nothing like the track before. Mm. And I, I love that. I think it's wonderful. As a listener, you think now you hear the song come together. And you think, oh, God, that, that was really great. What's the next song? Are you going to be like that? No, nothing like that at all. It's something. George Harrison's something. If I listen to... Uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, so I'm going to go funky. You hear this wonderful, gorgeous, huge, soaring ballad that starts the album. You think, oh, it's going to be like that, a, a ballad album. Nope. Mm. The next track <laughs> is El Conde Paso, which is a South American influence yeah. thing. And that, that's the way I tend to think when I'm, I'm doing an album. I love surprising the listener. Because I think that children really learn from that. And it goes to not, not just the subject matter. I try and balance the album so I don't get, say, three songs all on the same key one after the other or three songs all okay. in the same key signature. Like yeah. if I had, say, three waltz songs and three, three songs in three, four times, I would never put them one after the other. I would I would space them through the album. So the listener has a lovely time 
just hearing these different sort of things, you know, coming at them with each track. That's actually really quite interesting because that's also like your entire career. That's kind of contradictory to sort of what people see to do with children's music. I mean, often the strive is to kind of have, I guess, a backbone, which so you can hear any song at any time and go, oh, that's that person. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, I mean, it sort of sounds like you do do it. It's just very subliminally and, um, it's a pretty hard word to say that one, subliminally. What colour socks are you wearing today? It's very, very cold and the sky is grey. I can see some red, I can see some blue, I can see some green and yellow ones too. What you talk about the children aspect, and the children obviously are just so heavily featured in your music with the choirs. Yeah. Um, why so prevalently? Because it's a pro, it's an approach I th- I feel is kind of really dying. And as a teacher myself, I think it's incredibly yeah. empowering for children to hear themselves or their group yeah. represented. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You still do it. I mean, in this album, it's the same. Yeah. It's still filled with it. So where, where's where did that come from? I've always loved, well, first of all, I, I love children's voices. I love hearing them sing. Children love to sing. So it seems the most natural thing in the world to me to have children singing on an album. And if where possible, I had them singing in my live shows too. Yeah. Um, and I, to me, it's sort of was, it's strange if children aren't singing on an album. Do a whole album without a child's voice seem odd to me. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, right. And you're talking specifically that, children's music. I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. So to have children singing on it is, is is just a natural thing to do. And it's terrific for children to sing. They love it. Uh, it's an emotional thing for them. Um, so so I've always done that. And Live It Up probably, if anything, does even more than usual. Yeah. Um, I had um, – with Live It Up, I used – I have a choir in Adelaide who I'm the patron for. It's a choir called Young Adelaide Voices. It used to be called the Adelaide Girls Choir. And they're the best, they're the best choir in Adelaide. And um, I – because I'm their patron, I decided – I decided because I had 10 tracks on this album that needed kids to sing choirs to sing on, I thought I'll use what young lady voices because they're just terrific. And I know, yeah. the, I know the director really well. And they prepare themselves or they learn the songs. And uh, so this, this album, if anything, probably got more choir stuff on. Than anything else. But it does go with the songs. I mean, the album I did before, Quirky Berserky, the Turkey from Turkey, back in 2012, doesn't have anywhere near as many choirs. Only because I just didn't have the right as many songs that needed choirs. So it's, it's like horses for courses. Like yeah, this sure. one just happened to have a whole lot of songs where choirs were appropriate, and which is lovely because I, I love working with it. Yeah, so you're less sort of trying to squeeze it in and more just go, you know what, it works again in that one, so let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another aspect of this latest album which I, I, me personally, I think it's great, and that features a lot of poems. Um, Again, this is an art form I think was quite prevalent in the 80s and 90s with kids' content, but it has died off somewhat. How conscious are you of putting these elements in? Or or are you still just like, you know what, I I have this poem and it's fun and it's going in? Uh, Well, both. I mean, I have have a poem and they're fun and they're going in, but also I I have an enormous passion for the English language and I, I love children to hear... Like at these poems, a lot of these poems where you've, you've got words that, um, uh, you know, the words that actually sound the same but mean something different, like like here, H-E-R-E, and here, H-E-A-R. And it's kind of fun to play with words mm. like that. 
uh, and it kind of make, makes a child then think about the words. And so it's a real, I guess in that sense, it's a real fun ex- educational exercise, which I really, really love doing. And also, is a, a, a quite a bit of the Spike Milligan in me. I, Spike Milligan yeah. did all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I love I love what he did. And uh, I suppose in that sense, I'm, I'm being a bit Spike Milligan-ish. Totally. That was one of the things I had written down. Because talking about your lyrics, there's this high-level... Um, of beautiful madness in in your music, yeah. but that's, also that's, that's well expressed, beautiful. Yeah. I like that beautiful madness. You can have it, it's yours. <laughs> um, but it, it is your lyrics. I find myself mostly enthralled by, and I feel as a listener, you yeah. have the way I see it constrained. Again, it's just my outside view. It looks like you have a word that you need. And for example, I'll use um, apricot chicken. You have the word chicken, and now the next is to find a word that rhymes with chicken. Okay. But yeah. it feels, yeah, right, yeah. but it feels the importance for you is not a rhyming word that suits the narrative as such, but more a word that suits the joy of rhyming. So in this particular case, you use um, pickin, and pickin being an abbreviation obviously yeah. for picking, and you, there's obviously a banjo because yeah. you're playing that. But it's the fun yeah. of rhyming chicken with slang, with pickin. And I think that that's yeah. something quite magical to a child. Is that is that a fair comment yeah. to make? I mean, is that how yeah. you sort of look at lyrics? <laughs> It is a fair comment, um, and, and I think I like your expression. I said, "Beautiful madness." That's great, and I, I like I love quirky lyrics. There's a very famous um, saying by Paul McCartney that uh, sometimes you write a lyric and you just write it simply because it sounds nice. It sounds nice mm. and lovely to sing, and that's another way of thinking about writing lyrics for songs. Some songs don't necessarily have to make terrific sense. But um, but yeah. they're just lovely to sing, and probably one of the songs that mine it's, it's a little bit in that category is probably Newspaper Mama. I mean, wh- why why put the word Mama in there? Yeah. And basically, it's just somehow <laughs> somehow spot it's, it's beautiful to sing Newspaper yeah. Mama. Yeah. Just a great little phrase to sing. So that's it's just one of the, the many aspects or many ways you approach songwriting. I think songwriting is an interesting thing because you you don't have to have a formula for writing. There's all sorts of ways of approaching the songwriting, and I have I have many many techniques that I use when I'm write when I'm writing songs because it's uh, you just I think you're then more likely to end up with a set, a set of interesting songs rather than songs that are less interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good point actually because I did hear an interview in which you were talking about you you sort of talked about you don't know where your songs come from at least from an inspirational point of view. It's not like you um no, sit, you, really, you don't no. sit down at a thing and go right now I'm going to write okay what am I you know and look there's spaghetti on the table I'll write about that. Yeah. Over the years however like this is now your 25th album or something um are you <laughs> have you established a bit more of a writing like particularly as a parent as well I mean if you or 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 you still just believe in that magical mishap? As you um, know, I think I think maybe this particular album, Little Up, had a couple of songs where I did set out to write a song about such and such, and the two songs that I would pick out would be um, would be the Planet Song and also all, all the Dinosaurs, and they were probably the two hardest songs on the album to write. I wanted to write. I've, I've always wanted to write a song about the plants and also about dinosaurs because kids love dinosaurs. Yeah, and, and planets. Kids find the planets fascinating. So um, in that sense, in this particular album, but other songs like Mr. Spool, for example, came from an idea from one of my grandsons. He just simply was sitting down with my wife and just 
sort of talking about this this little cape and Mr. I think he called him Mr. Tool. I think if I remember, <laughs> but I thought I, I couldn't quite use Mr. Tool. It doesn't, doesn't quite <laughs> no, work, so no. I changed that. But um, that so that song sort of came from a bit of inspi- inspirational mm. stuff from my grand grandson. But but the other songs probably fit more into that thing of just things come out of nowhere because songwriting in the main is still remains a fairly a fairly mysterious concept. And I can explain it best by saying when I start writing an album, usually the first two or three days, not much comes. But you've got to sit back, you've got to work at it because you, you sort of, if you work at it, eventually you sort of hope inspiration will will hit you. And generally, generally it does. And if it doesn't, of course, well you don't end up writing writing you know, good songs. Yeah. But um, with and that's what happened with this album. I mean, I mean, eventually it started to flow, and you didn't get a set of songs that work. Well, I guess it's like anything, isn't it? I mean, even building anything, you're sort of doing your best, most productive work in your last kind of two hours, aren't you? Because you've sort of spent that time opening your brain to all those possibilities and getting yeah. ready for there's it. There's a certain there's a momentum that develops, mm. and uh, and uh, certainly with me, uh, once that once I get on it, the momentum, then, then it becomes almost hard to stop. You want to keep going because you're on this like this sure, train ride sure, sure. going. Yep. But it does take a long time to get to that point, and you've. Uh, because creating good stuff is is difficult. It's never mm. easy. And um, in fact, as a, as a famous John Cleese um, uh, lecture he gives on creativity, where he talks about the very thing that I've experienced lots of times, where you think, right, I, it's, I really want to write a new album now. I want to do it, and I have to start at some point. Shall I start this morning? So I start, half past nine, sit down, and think I'll sort of start working on some some songs. And you then you say, and he, he's like, oh god, I, I meant to email that guy. I forgot to. Email. I better, I better be up before I start writing. Yeah. Oh look, I really, I really have to have a coffee. I must have a coffee before I start. Oh that guy, I did. I meant to ring him back. I forgot to ring that guy. Back. Oh, I better do that. So this is all, this is all procrastination, put, putting off the task because creating, creating something that's good is difficult. It's always difficult, and you can never underestimate how hard it is. But if you don't put the effort in and get started, it, it won't happen. over 700 different sorts of dinosaurs. Some were herbivorous, they ate plants. Others carnivorous, they ate meat. But... And are you the sort of person with that in mind? Like, Because obviously, as a creative person, you find yourself autom- like in these throes of creativity where you kind of go, oh my goodness, I've this, all this stuff's flooding to me inexplicably and I don't know why it's happening this very moment. Do you still kind of slave yourself to that? Do you sort of go, I'm sorry, I've just got to go, I've got to go home and get the guitar out and write all this, it's just there's something happening, I've got to write it down? Or, I mean, you know, do you carry a book and pen around with you and just constantly jotting things down still? Is that sort of you or is that more? Yeah, I, 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 probably, I probably do less of that than I used to. I certainly used to do a lot of that and I... Someone simply record a song, and these days I can take my mobile phone and record an idea to that. True. Um, but certainly, in that sense, uh, if you have a, a really interesting, either melodic or lyrical idea, you don't you don't want to wait until the next day to write it down. If you get it, say, at, you know, ten o'clock at night, you want to at least record it, because the important thing with an idea is to record it exactly as you're thinking about it right then and there. Because eight hours later, when you wake up, you won't think of it yeah, quite the same way. Mm. And often that's, the, that's the, the, the germ of the song that's going to work. 
And whether it's a sort of a, a chord thing, a melody thing, or a, you know, a lyrical thing, you've just got to get get it, get down some record of it. So in the morning, you can you can listen to it and think, oh yes, that's the idea I thought of. Because it won't be the same in the morning if you don't do that. Are you are you very prolific? Um, I think I'm prolific once I get going. Um, I have long spaces in between writing an album. I don't write pretty much anything at all, and I'm in that space now. Um, part, that's partly because Live It Up was probably in many ways the hardest tour I've ever done because uh, with Live It Up uh, and the album itself, albums are always always time consuming and they're and they're quite tiring because I'm. If you're a bit of a perfectionist, which, which is I am, um, it just it involves enormous amount of hard work. And yeah. if you're into attention to detail, which I also am, um, that, that's wearing. So on top of that, when you tour, in this case, I toured all the capital yeah, cities. Yeah, it was a huge tour. And in, in every tour, I used either a bunch of kids on stage who sang and moved the songs, or in Perth, Adelaide, and um, Sydney, I used actually a group of dancers. Hmm. But in both cases, um, it involved wor- uh, rehearsing with these kids, doing, sending them lots of notes up, you know, two or three months in advance, and then preparing. Me getting there a day or so early, spending a three-hour rehearsal with them, and then getting into the studio and getting into the into the uh, theatre the next day, and then doing another long rehearsal, then doing the show. That's yeah. all pretty tiring. Yeah, stuff. that's that's exhausting. Um, yes, but it's worth it if you if you believe in in having children on stage with you, which I love love doing. And it's great. It's very satisfying seeing these groups of, you know, 25, 30 children doing things, dancing, singing, and um, doing it really, really well. I think that's, it's like saying this, this music really matters to me. And I want you as an audience to enjoy it enormously to it, to it's, you know, it's, it's nth degree and also enjoy seeing these lovely kids on stage working with me. Cause that's, that's to me is one of the statements I'm making that, I love working with children because I'm doing children's music, and, I, and uh, so it's um, yeah, it's it's uh, wonderfully satisfying, but it is it is very tiring. Yeah. So it, I'm, it's all leading up to saying I'm having a sort of slightly more of a downtime <laughs> now. I'm, I'm just I'm doing and well, I've had, I have a couple of interesting things that have happened. Of course, the Aria nomination was mm. great. I've also just had a nomination in South Australia to being the um, uh, a nomination being the Australian Senior Australian Citizen of the Year. Oh really? Oh that's <laughs> now, great. Now, like, this, this, it's just a nomination at this point, so yeah. it'll, it may or someone else That's may beautiful. get it. But, uh, I've got a very uh, a lovely event I'm going to next Monday night where the, the other three nominees will be there as well, and I'll find out whether I'm I kind of make the shortlist. And yeah, kind of, that's so very that's, cool. That's, that's, that's been it's kind of an, I'm in a slightly different phase of my career at the moment, uh, where I probably won't write again for a while, but um, and I'm still performing. I mean, any gigs that come up and gigs come up all the time. Um, I do them, and um, but it's nice to have. It. I'm sort of I've slowed down slightly from what what it was say from February this year through to mm. early August. Uh, it re- it reached a peak in Sydney where I'll, I'll tell you just a single thing that uh, beware other performers, watch out for this kind of thing. In Sydney, um, I did three live it up shows at a lovely theatre called Monkey Bar, yep. which is in um, Darling Harbour, Darling Harbour in Sydney, and it's a great great little theatre. I haven't worked there before. 
I also did one of my 18 plus shows, which we haven't, yes. haven't talked about yet. Yep. Um, and that was at um, uh, that was at uh, Manning Bar, which is a part of Sydney Uni. So I took on four shows in one day, which is a bit dangerous because that's a really yeah. heavy load. Yep. I only did four shows in a day because I rehearsed the kids for the matinee at Monkey Bar the night before. So we just we could then come into the theatre to, to set up and then just do just the shows. Do it, yeah. so I'd had to do a rehearsal on top of that the same day. I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it anyway. What, I, what happened was on the Monday before the Saturday performance, I got I just got a cold, and I never get cold, so I never I, well I never I rarely get cold, so I don't tend to fact, factor them into my schedule. I got a cold, so it's cut a lot, cut a very long story short. By the time I got the Manning Bar that night, my voice was just gone. It was had it, and it was quite awkward because I had to sing do it do an hour yeah. an hour and a quarter gig with the band and uh, so the band it was helped having the band there and a, and a louder yeah <laughs> and a louder more raucous uh, audience i imagine as well yeah that, that's what actually louder and more raucous and uh, so it was kind of difficult but uh, but you know so the moral of the story is just think carefully before you take on four shows in one day <laughs> because if you get a cold you really you really get really going to struggle which i did so that, that was a bit of a less a lesson at this stage late in my career yeah i, I also know better i also think if i ever find myself doing four shows in one day peter i'll be pretty impressed with myself that it's even got to that point so uh <laughs> We'll just do one thing at a time. There was a glass of milk sitting in the fridge And she thought that she could reach it if she stretched up high On tippy-tippy-toe And did you know she did, she did, she did She got it yeah. Um, well, look, just we'll just one. I've just got one more question about the lyrics, and then we'll sort of, and then we can wrap it up with just a few other. Because I still want to have a chat about your your um your uh, I guess the parent shows. Um, there's this one moment I just really wanted to bring this up with lyrically. There's this moment in "Live It Up," um, which for me was, and I I can't explain why. And I'm hoping you can just give me some magical insight on it. It was a real game changer for me, at least anyway. And that's the song "Uh Oh," and. Oh, oh, yes, yes. And yes. you simply start the, the opening words that there was a glass of milk sitting in the fridge and she thought that she could reach it if she stretched up high. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, but there was something about that that really kind of I was unprepared for and it kind of really stalled me. It, it's it, You have a, a little girl in this story. Yep. yep. But you yep. never, you don't talk about her, you don't give her a name. It's not about her, it's about yep. the milk. Yeah. It's kind of entirely about the milk. Is it was this spilling I mean, on the floor? Yeah, and I kind of was really. I, I, I'm probably truly overthinking it, but I'm also happy to. I just kind of really was quite. I don't know. I just it was something. There was something in, immensely poetic about not making it about the girl, and it's just something I never really thought yeah. about in kids' music. Was this a yeah. happy accident, or did you sort of think about that? Um, yeah, I can tell you, the background, the background of that song is it was exactly based on a true story. Um, my granddaughter, her name is Eliza, and she's six, and this, this would have happened probably about, or maybe a year and a half ago, when I was, and I was writing, when I was writing the songs for the album, and she did exactly that. She she opened the fridge. There was some milk there in a glass, and she reached up and she got it. She got the milk, and then she dropped the glass, stood all over the floor. So the song is absolutely true, but somehow just it just um, 
seen more sort of powerful not to mention the girl's name, not to mention who she was. It was just this, this is what happened to this little yeah. girl. It could have been any girl. In this case, it just happened to be my granddaughter. But um, so, yeah, I, I haven't got any explanation apart beyond that, except it, it is based on a true story. It's kind of fun. It's fun being based on a true story because I could visualize all this thing happening when I, when I wrote the song. No, I mean, you, you answered it beautifully. I mean, that was my thing. I just kind of was like, I just felt like it was intentional. I was just going, this couldn't have just been an accident yeah. because it seems it no, no. seems such a step away from what a lot of people would have done. Um, yeah. That's good. That was a great answer. Thank you for that. I can relax now and think I'm not just going mad. <laughs> Okay, so look, let's get to it. You are an exhaustive performer, and I suspect you always will be. You're now doing these adult shows. With performing, mm-hmm. is performing for you, and I've only got a couple more questions, so I really appreciate the time you've given mm-hmm. me. With your live performance, how much of it for you is keeping up a profile, or is it love, you just love doing it, or again, are you kind of just doing it waiting for the day that you wake up and go, oh, actually, you know what, I just kind of don't want to do this anymore? <laughs> Uh, not not the last one, but I think I think it is a combination. There's there's no, there's no doubt that you have to if you don't perform publicly, you do lose profile, and uh, and if you're you know if you if you're in the public sphere, well you do need to perform. But at the same time, I do it because I love it. I mean, mm. I'm lucky enough to do something I love, and people pay, pay me to do it, which is wonderful. Uh, but you know, I've, I've obviously worked very hard to get to that point in my mm. career yeah. where people pay me to do something I love to do. Uh, but there's no, there's no doubt that you, um, pro, you know, having profile th- things that do keep your profile out there are good, because you, if you don't have a profile, well, then you go when you go touring, you can't get an audience who come to come to hear you. Yeah, true. Um, and you want to go to Brisbane, to Sydney, to Melbourne, to Perth, Hobart, and um, get an audience. So in that sense, you know, having a profile always matters. But what drives it all always should be the love of doing it and the love of your audience and wanting to produce things for families. And I say I say families because I think all good children music should be have a very much an adult friendly strand to it. Sure. And I, I know that all the, all the children's songs I've loved over the years, and I can think of a couple. Um, they say Puff the Magic Dragons, one um, Daddy, Daddy's Taking Us to the Zoo Tomorrow by Tom Pax, another one. Where they, you, see, you just love them as songs. I mean, yeah. The fact the fact that they're for children is kind of in a way almost neither here nor there. They just are lovely songs which are about childlike things, and also children love them. So you've got everything lumped into one, and that, that that's kind of the approach I take a lot of my writing. I I, I know that uh, it'd be lovely if adults enjoy this too, and if the song is any good, well they they tend to enjoy it, and uh, you, you don't think oh this song's for children, therefore I can't listen to it. Um, it's just a good song. There is a big shift in music lately. You said earlier on that, you know, you thought kids' music wasn't really looked as being very cool, but there is a bit of a shift going on in that because there's a there's like a whole generation of musos that are having children and looking around going, oh, what's where's the stuff that I kind of want my child to listen to? And yeah, that's yeah. kind of been the advent of things like Kindling and Little Rockers Radio is these people going, yeah, you know, we deserve, kids deserve more than that. So it is changing. Yeah, yeah. With that, with repealing to the adults, of course, how does it feel getting up in front of nothing but adults? And oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's fantastic. It's, uh, I've done, so I've done about, uh, must be 115, 120 of these shows now over a period of about 12 years. And they're, they're oh, really? Of the, ad- of the adult yeah. ones? Oh, yeah. Probably, oh, yeah, okay. I've, I've done probably, I've probably done six or seven in Sydney, maybe a 10 to a dozen in Melbourne. Okay. Uh, seven or eight in um, Perth, probably at least. 10 to 12 in Adelaide, 
Uh, I've done all the capital cities, probably five or six in Brisbane, uh, Canberra. Uh, I've done every everywhere, Ballarat, Newcastle, Wollongong. Um, because I guess luckily, because um, because I was, was you know I became well known with the ABC, which is, goes national, so everyone got to hear the songs. I mean, it didn't matter whether you, where you lived, you got to hear Top of the Apple and Newspaper Mama because they're on ABC TV. <laughs> but they're to. great. They're great fun because I I do almost all of them with a band, and um, and I have a band I have a band based in Perth, I have a, I have a Sydney band, a Brisbane band, a Melbourne band, an yeah, Adelaide great. band. Yeah, great. And um, so when I go there and do these shows, I use those musicians. And because uh, I, again, I want the audience to hear a really classy band. I don't want any old band. I want I want them to be really good. So I I just don't don't. I always work with great musicians because that's again part of my philosophy mm. doing things really well. And the, the shows are amazing. The, these young adults just sing everything. <laughs> so even on the last the last tour, it was kind of interesting. There's a song on Live It Up called Sun Comes Up, Sun Goes Down, track ten. And even though the audience could couldn't have possibly know the song, when I sang it, they kind of sang along with the chorus, which yeah. is really interesting because yeah. uh, they couldn't have known the song. That was always a, a lovely surprise to me to have this audience. I mean, apart, I mean, songs like Newspaper Mama, Top of the Apple, Juicy Juicy Green Grass, they know all them and they sing along with them instantly. But having this brand new song that they didn't know and sing along was actually a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. There was something about that particular song that they sang, they sang with, even though they couldn't have possibly known it. So that was fun. Sun comes up, sun goes down Every day, all the year round Planet Earth, human race Living in a perfectly beautiful place Yeah, that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? You do this, mm. you've been, as you said, you've just done this massive tour with the choir and the orchestra and it was quite a big mm. one for you and then you've been doing a lot of these, um, the adult shows as well. Oh, not, not the orchestra, with the, with the choir. Oh, yeah. Sorry, with the choir, yes. Um, do, yep. you, do you find yourself every now and then missing the smaller ones? Do you find yourself craving that sort of inters, intimacy and closeness, you know, to, to well, children of a smaller it's, show? It's a funny you should say that. It's really interesting because just in the last three days, I've done that very thing. Yeah. I um, went to um, the Gold Coast. I was there for six days because my son lives there. Tom, Tom lives there yep. with his wife and two little girls. And I decided because I was going anywhere, I'd do a little Facebook post and said, look, I'm coming to the Gold Coast. If any preschools I did would like that. to have a show, a small show, a small show, and you're talking about 50 kids, mm. no more than probably 40, 50 kids, I'll come out and do a small show. It'll only be kind of like a, like, a, like a thirty minutes long because the, the, the concentration span don't go yeah. much longer than that. Because you have a mixture of kids from that age of two to about four and a half, five. But that was kind of fun to do that because that very thing you just mentioned, getting close to kids, really close to them, and um, and just uh, the intimacy of being in a, just a, just a room in a, in a preschool was actually quite interesting. And I wouldn't do a lot of them because they, because I mean I, they're not viable in the financial sense. Yeah, of you course. You can't get big audiences, and, uh, and in the end, I do have to make a living out of this. Mm. But it was kind of lovely to go back to that um, that small audience preschool. That, that's how I started off in 1983, doing that very thing, mm. doing um, that, is that. My funny, my my favourite saying of all time from a child comes from that, my first year of doing it when I went to a school, and um, at that stage, I was <laughs> I was charging a very small amount of money per child to come to the show. And um, at the end of this this, this concert, um, 
this little girl kind of, as all the kids went back to their classrooms, one little girl sort of hung around. I knew she just wanted to tell me something. And all she said was to me in this lovely kind of, um, um, you know, a, a, a straight, not trying to be funny way, where she said, she said um, you're very good for 70 cents. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I, I kind of felt like saying, um, how would you feel about dollar twenty? <laughs> which, which she wouldn't have understood at all, of course. But, but it was just lovely. It's, it's lovely, funny. Uh, totally innocent way of saying you're very good for seventy. Yeah, that's so I great. Thought, um, if I ever do, if I ever do autobiography, perhaps I'll call. Yeah, it, I'm pretty good. He, he was very good for seventy. <laughs> that's great. That's a great line. Yeah. Well, look, that was good. thank yeah. you so much for your time, Peter, and um, okay. taking a moment to explain yourself to us. And look again, congratulations <laughs> for Live It Up. Look, it's a genuine genuinely magical album filled with you Thank know you. filled with you. yeah comments. yeah it's filled with wonderment and there's you know look there's not many people in any genre who on their 25th release can still produce something as vibrant and as exciting as their first so mm, um, thank you that's very kind so yeah we thank you kindly and we thank you and i thank you greatly for having a chat with us today my pleasure if you'd like to know more about Peter, then head along to his website at www.petercoom.com. And of course, for more Parent Time goodness, visit www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny, asking people questions. <laughs> <laughs>